You're listening to People Powered Radio 2XFM 98.3, streaming online at 2XFM.org.au. Good evening, Canberra. My name is Fazana and I'm your new presenter for Subject ACT. I'm so excited to begin this journey with you and look forward to bringing you the news, stories and events of significance to the Canberra community and beyond. Here at Subject ACT, we are interested in sharing the stories of young people who are branching out and exploring the path less travelled. We are interested in speaking to young entrepreneurs, business people and future leaders who are using their skills and initiative to drive innovation in emerging industries. Tonight, I'm joined by 22-year-old Samantha, who is a graduate cybersecurity consultant at one of the big four consultancy firms, and her partner, 23-year-old Josh, who is a soon-to-be graduate from the Australian National University. In 2018, the couple launched their artificial intelligence and network security startup business, Zalia Labs, a data protection service which is quickly growing traction in the ACT. I'll be speaking with both Samantha and Josh this evening about their business and gaining their insights into what it's like to start a startup business as a young person in Canberra. Guys, thank you so much for joining me in the studio this evening. Awesome to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your business. I mean, what is your product and what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so we work in DataSecOps, which is data security operations. And we work with that in the context of AI. So one of the problems that organizations face are that whenever you want to use sensitive data in your artificial intelligence, it's really, really difficult because you have to control how people are accessing it, who's accessing it. The kind of legal obligations that come with it are really, really expensive. So what we do is we let organizations use data inside of their AI without ever seeing what's inside of it. So all of these privacy and security risks just kind of evaporate. What would you say sets your product apart from services already provided by other cybersecurity and data protection businesses? We're one of the few companies working in DataSecOps. So you've maybe heard of DevOps, of DevSecOps, but what DataSecOps is all about is about securing how people interact with data throughout their their machine learning pipelines when they're trying to build AI. And what differentiates us is that we are one of the few people working on how do you equip machine learning engineers to build AI securely from day one instead of along the way. And specifically within our own industry in federated learning, majority of the companies out there focus on building a whole stack of this this technology. What we want to do is focus on a small spot on the small part of how can we get this technology into the hands of of machine learning engineers and into organizations. So what is your business structure and why did you choose this structure? Yeah, so, so we're structured, there's only two of us in the company right now, but what we do is when we bring employees on or we bring investors in, we give them a piece of our company and that's how we generate funds prior to being able to make sales or when we need to really invest in the technology with money that we don't have already. Yes, the way that, so we're an incorporated company, essentially. Yeah. But the way that we sell our product is that we sell it on a subscription model. So we have three tiers. You have enterprise, developer, and teams, and people purchase one of those three tiers mm-hmm. to use our product. Mm-hmm. And what does the day-to-day running of your business look like? Yeah, so we're based in the Canberra Innovation Network, which is over in Canberra Centre. And we get in there every day. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to try and reach out to 10 people that we've never met before. And you try to start a conversation with them about their privacy or data or AI needs. And the sole goal in those first 10 reach outs that you do in the morning is to try and get an intro meeting. So which is like a 30 minute call with someone to assess whether it is something that they would really be interested in buying. So we have the 10 by 10, each of us reaches out to 10 people uh, and by the end of the week hopefully we've 
each reached out to 100 people. We also do a stand-up to make sure that we're on the same page with what we're working on and, and who we're reaching out to. It's really important. Yeah, so we do those reach-outs and then we go down and get a chai latte and chat about what we're going to be doing for the rest of the day and how things are going. And then we spend the rest of the day either pitch-working looking for money or developing the product. And how do you guys explain such a complex product to your users? (laughs) It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. I think the last two years has been specifically focusing on how we can explain it to people. And it's come a long way um, with the help of our community and and our mentors in, in telling us we're straight in the middle of the product so it's hard for us to really conceptualize what would a person who who has never heard of this would think yeah one of the biggest realizations that we had and it must have been only at the end of 2019 is that it's okay when you give an explanation of your product to exclude people if they're not your customer and they're not going to purchase the product it's okay if they don't fully understand what it is that you're doing so when we give our pitch we give it with the full intent of that an, an ai or machine learning engineer or someone who works in these high-tech organizations understands it straight away. But if you're not data ready, if you're not AI ready, you're going to be maybe interested, but you're not going to reach out to us today. But you might reach out to us in 12 months. And why is cybersecurity something that you are both passionate about? I, I love cybersecurity because it enables people to do things today that they couldn't previously do before. So probably the most obvious example that is accessible to everyone is that there's a tiny little green lock at the top left of your browser that comes whenever you go to a reputable website. And that is just a cybersecurity product. And what it means is that if you're about to give your payment information to those sorts of companies, you can trust that they're going to be using something like PayPal or secure ways so you can enable like e-commerce and other things. And that exact idea is what we try to do for AI. So if we can give people more access to more sensitive data, like medical and financial data, then they can build much more effective AI in a more trustless environment. Definitely, same for me. Uh, my, my passion in cybersecurity stems from making technology accessible for people in a safe environment. The internet is a complex realm, so cybersecurity helps mitigate that risk, and that's why we've chosen this industry. Mm. And who are you trying to target with your business? So DataSecOps, really, the whole industry is trying to target any company that wants to use a lot of data to do something really interesting. Specifically, we target machine learning engineers who who need to access information like, well, what is someone's medical history? But maybe they want to combine it with something that doesn't really make a lot of sense to combine it with, like their geolocation or their purchasing habits. Right now, it's really, really difficult to link those two sources of data. So what we do is we let those machine learning engineers securely link lots of different sensitive information to build better AI. And and specifically to those decision makers in organizations, they bear the brunt of the, the risk of holding people's data. So if we can assist them in gaining more data to create more interesting insights for their company without that risk, that's our goal. Yeah, definitely one of the biggest fears for information governance officers is that some intern or some low-level person will accidentally access high sensitive data and mm-hmm. use it in something that it wasn't supposed to be used for. And we're looking at an incoming, like huge legislative reforms across the world on how people use data. So information governance officers and decision makers are really worried about the misuse of information in their organization. Definitely. And, and the GDPR in Europe has revolutionized the way the world thinks about data and who can use data, making it harder, but also providing guarantees to the consumers. Yeah. So. Exactly. And one of the things that we focus on is that when we started, we could see that all of this legislation would make people not want to use data, but that's just not possible. So people instead going to use data in inappropriately or insecurely. So what we wanted to do is let them be able to access more data more securely 
with less liability. And how have you guys been marketing your business and what kind of response have you received so far? So we, we market through a, a one-on-one sales model. So because we're high tech and because we're still very early on in, in the product, we need to be able to work directly with our customers to understand their needs and as they're using the product, see what extra features they might want. Something very small that can really kill a startup is if you put a button in the wrong place that someone can't find it and then they just don't use the product. They switch to someone else. So we every day reach out to 10 people and we try to develop that relationship so that we can, when they use the product, sit down with them and watch how they use it in their organization and build it to their needs. Reaching out to people is definitely the hardest thing that we've learned. It's not something innately programmed into us. Um, We're quite introverted people. So getting the confidence to reach out to someone, a CTO or or a CEO of an organization, it has been tough, but that has Mm -hmm. been our marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. When we started, it was devastating. You'd you'd get on these calls with these CEOs and these CTOs and then you'd say, it's so good. Listen to our awesome product. Like, why don't you buy it? And they just go, no, that's a bad, like we don't want it. And that, that used to be devastating. But one of the things that we really learned as founders is that if you're not hearing no, when people say, when you ask people, will you pay for this? Then you're not doing the right thing. So through all of these like successive no's, we've been able to come to a product that now people do say yes to. And we're going to hear a lot more no's. The no's, and we want to keep hearing definitely them. the no's have shaped what our product is now mm-hmm. um, and, and why we're now getting yeses. Yeah. One of the hardest things as a young founder is that you're not, you're not used to hearing no. And, mm-hmm. and what you're really looking for is not just yes, but yes, I'm going to give you my money. Where, where is your product today? <laughs> and that's so hard as a young person to, to know that that's what you're looking for. Because lots of people say yes. They say, yeah, that's really great. You know, let me introduce introduce you to this person. They're they're higher up than me. They have the money, and we spent maybe six months just going down these these daisy chains and rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't until we started right from the get go saying, "Will you pay for this product? Does it solve a need for you?" And if mm-hmm. they say, "Oh, kind of," then putting them on the back burner, coming back to not them right later. now is not right yeah. now is often one, mm-hmm. but we've started to hear some yeses, which means we're at least in the right direction. And yeses like, "If this existed, I will pay for it." So what have been some of the advantages of launching your business in Canberra as opposed to Melbourne or Sydney, which I guess are traditionally considered to be more of the commercial hubs of Australia? Definitely the, the biggest advantage for us is being a part of the Canberra Innovation Network. They have been invaluable to our development and success as entrepreneurs. So the Canberra Innovation Network is a network of startup founders, of mentors, investors, as well as the people working towards helping, helping you achieve your dreams. So we got involved with the Canberra Innovation Network around 12 months ago when we went to launch our pilot and we hosted an events space there and had just joined the co-working. Since then, we've become incredible fans of them. So (laughs) we've applied through them for the Innovation Connect grant, which is where we've gotten some early funding to build the prototype for our technology. And then we've also been accepted into their Griffin Accelerator, which is an accelerator is a place for high high growth potential startups to to come together and, and have access to mentors and help us grow rapidly and scale up our operations to the kind of thing that you would expect from a high-tech AI startup. And something amazing about Canberra Innovation Network is that you can go to one of the people who have an amazing amount of experience and ask, can I have 15 minutes of your time to run run this pitch by you or, or prepare for this meeting with this person? And they'll always, if they have time, say yes or point you to someone who, who is able to sit down with you. A recent experience for us is we're always working on our pitch and trying to get that more and more refined. And we had 
three to four people look at it and say, this is the best pitch you've ever written. This is perfect. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until we got to that fifth person who was in the network and they said, it doesn't have the wow factor. It's not good enough. Try do this instead. Mm -hmm. And through those sorts of harsh no's and having all these different eyes, there's always one person in the network who will tell you that what you're doing is wrong and they will always be the person who's right. Um, Through those successive no's, you really come to develop a a refined and good pitch, the kind of thing that you can get in a room with investors and say, Mm -hmm. I need $100,000 today to hire a team so that we can build this product. And comparing to Sydney and and Melbourne, they're they're quite intimidating environments. A lot of the startups there are quite established. They're made by people with 20 years experience. So being in the Canberra Innovation Network, they were okay that we're we're fresh out of uni. We don't have 20 years experience and they've helped us develop our idea. Definitely. So we're in a very, even within AI, we're in a very niche area. So we we work with cryptography and artificial intelligence. And in both of their respective fields, they're sort of the, the most specialized, or one of the most specialized that you can work with. So whenever we're in a room with someone in our industry, it has been really difficult to say, well, we are here and we do have the stuff to do this. But the Canberra Innovation Network never, never questioned us on that. They always had this philosophy of, well, you might fail, but we're going to build you up so that you will succeed. You're listening to People Powered Radio, 2XX FM. Welcome back. This is Frozana for Subject ACT, bringing you the stories, news and events of significance to the Canberra community and beyond. Tonight, I'm speaking with Samantha and Josh about their AI and network security startup business, Zalia Labs. So far, we've been talking about their product and the steps they are taking to turn their business dream into a reality. Guys, I'm really curious to hear more about some of the personal experiences and insights you have gained from starting your own startup. So as we know, 2020 has truly been a year for the history books. What have been some of the major challenges and setbacks you have faced this year in launching your business? Definitely the biggest setback that we faced was right at the beginning of COVID. So we spent the first or the last half of 2019 really working towards the launch of of a different version of what we're doing now. Um, And we started to gain a lot of traction. So We'd pitched at the Innovation Showcase, which is this annual event that's coming up um, where you get to pitch in front of, uh, there were about a thousand people there. And we built all of this traction for our pilot and then lots, like a bunch of people signed up to help us build it and then COVID hit and we lost all of that traction. And it really felt like we had to start from scratch all over again. But I think one of the benefits of COVID is that everything has come online. So we've been able to have meetings with people all around the world and, and it's become normalized, the, the, the video conference calls. So that's been awesome, not having to travel, you know, seven hours to Melbourne or, or three hours to Sydney or be able to talk to someone in, in the UK. Yeah, we used to often, we'd go up to Sydney, a three and a half hour drive, we'd leave at 6 a.m., get there at 9.30 just to have coffee with one person. And that person often wasn't even someone who could have bought our product. They were just someone who could introduce us to someone who might know someone who we could be introduced to who would buy the product. (laughs) So how have you guys balanced launching your own business with full-time work and study commitments? (laughs) Yeah, we definitely haven't. One of the first things that we learned as founders is that you, you have to sacrifice so much of what else you're doing in order to make it work. So when when the company was started, um, I was only in my second year at university. Mm-hmm. And back then, to justify reducing the amount of subjects that I was doing and spending more time working in something that was so far away from my degree whilst I was at university was really, really difficult. And I ended up sacrificing a lot of those commitments. And a lot of people ended up not really understanding why it was that those commitments had to be sacrificed mm-hmm. until now. We really had to 
create a support network. Being a founder isn't a one person job. You have a team behind you. It's our family support and even friends being okay that sometimes we drop off the map and, and, and we don't respond to texts. So, and, and that's because we're in a crazy period with Zalia. So it's been tough fitting in all of life. But it's it's about knowing what are actually one of my my bosses has a great analogy that you have glass balls and you have plastic balls in life. And it's life is constantly juggling between that and glass balls. You can't let hit the ground because they break. They're the really important, you know, family commitments or something that's you, you can't let break. And the, the plastic ones are OK if they they hit the floor and you can pick them up. And, and, and it's just about distinguishing what is the what are those glass balls? I think especially as young people it's really hard to distinguish between plastic and glass balls because you're told everything you're holding is a glass ball. Like if you're working and you're doing all this stuff, you can't drop any of it. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, and what we found as founders, is that a lot of them are plastic balls. A lot of the stuff that people say you can't do, like you can't drop down on your uni subjects, you can't do all of these things because your life will fall apart, ended up being plastic balls. But only because every time we took a glass ball out of our stack, we replaced it with a different kind of glass ball. Mm -hmm. So you both have um, an arts and social sciences background. How did you guys make the transition into AI and cybersecurity? We did it because we had to. We, when we started, we had a team and that team was made up of some, an engineering student and a computer science student. They were originally doing a lot of the stuff and we were really handling the other sides of the business, the more, more focusing on the risk and the, the management. But they ended up dropping out and we had this phenomenal thing that we had to build, that we were obsessed about building. And what we did was kind of weird. We the very first thing as a law student that I did was I thought, well, what's, I, I hate math. I'm really bad at math, but I need to get good at it. So what's the most advanced math that I could do today that isn't like going through some online tutorial about algebra. So we picked up a book on quantum information systems and theory, and it was a fantastic book, but it wasn't accessible at all. And we were forced to really like pick up all of the skills that we needed to be able to work with that kind of technology. And then once we had that under the belt, we jumped across and we were like, well, how do we get good enough at cryptography? And then AI, and we've kind of kept going on down that train. And, and definitely for me, I, I have a background in linguistics and, and international security. And the great thing about today is you've got courses online that are free. You've got books that you can buy. So I, I found most of the things I learned in coding, in, in secu cybersecurity, in AI have been from places that you wouldn't expect to have learned them. So I, I, I have done, you know, some computing courses in, in ANU. Being in action, actually building something, that's that's where you learn it. Yeah. Mm. So there's this, um, there's this website, it's called GitHub. Um, all software developers use it to, to sort of store your code. And most of the time you can go and browse through other people's code. So if you were to look at at the ones that we've written, you'll see some very strange things there. You'll see a quantum emulation engine, which was our attempt. Well, can we simulate a quantum environment? We kind of kind of tried. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there's a whole bunch of stuff of us just experimenting and trying and writing the code. And what was really difficult about that was that the only references that we had were really, really difficult pieces of reference. So there was no tutor or anyone to walk us through the basics. Mm -hmm. But the effect of that was that we walked away with with the experience and skills of someone much, much older than us, because those were the people that we were trying to learn from and emulate. So we kind of skipped that whole university style way of doing it. And we think came out with potentially a better way for us coming from the arts area. Definitely. And just as an aside, a lot of, a lot of arts thinking, like law thinking or linguistics thinking is very pro programmatic in its mm -hmm. way. It's all about relationships between people and relationships between code. Mm -hmm. And yeah. once you kind of can make those connections, you can actually develop in a really interesting way. Yeah. 
definitely. Where has your business taken you so far? The, the furthest we've gone overseas with our business has been San Francisco. So mm-hmm. we were lucky enough to have been invited to an industry conference. Um, and the industry conference was, was very small and it was filled with people that, that we had been wanting to meet forever. So in, in our space, because we're in um, emerging tech, we read a lot of research papers and we work with a lot of research. And to finally meet and see the people <laughs> in San Francisco at, at Berkeley and see the people who were writing all of the papers that we were building most of our product on was really incredible. We, we definitely hope to, you know, head to, to Europe because there are a lot of researchers in, in, within our industry or organizations over there. Yeah, and we've also been able to see a lot more of, of Sydney and, and even Melbourne. We do a lot of virtual stuff with Melbourne and we had the intention of moving down there prior to COVID. Just like getting to see these other parts of Sydney that as a student you never would have gotten to see. So mm-hmm. a lot of the Barangaroo offices or the offices right out on the waterfront, we've been invited in and we've gone straight up to like the high floors and been able just to talk to people. And to get that experience as an undergraduate mm-hmm. would have just been impossible. You would have had to go yeah. through all these loops. There would have been tons of people saying, no, you know, I don't think you're right to meet the CTO of our company. Like, like wait a few years, like yeah. gain some more experience. But but as founders, we're able to go straight to them. Like we have no no worries on LinkedIn messaging high profile people now as founders, but we couldn't have done that as undergraduates. So what do you think drives you to do something a little bit different to, I guess, most other university graduates or soon to be university graduates? Yeah. We're definitely obsessed with our idea it it consumes every day almost every thought that we have you know we'll, we'll be at dinner and, and be talking about Zalia so it's that drive that we we don't want to give up and and we've gone through so many hurdles uh and and that's an understatement it, it's it's been tough yeah. but one of the books that we we keep on our desk is um it's it's called do more faster it's by the team at Techstars, mm-hmm. and it's just a series of short stories from different founders about their experience or lessons. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And one of the lessons there is, is quit if you can. And that's the essence of it. If you can quit, like quit, but we, we could never quit doing this. That, that obsession just, once you've got that great idea, another lesson from there is you only ever need one great idea <laughs> is that once you've got that one great idea, you just become so obsessed with it. The, they say quit if you can because you will go through struggles and people will say no and, and you'll think, can I actually do this? So quit if you can is saving you that amount of time of, of hours of yeah. spent on your product. And almost even worse than the no's that you get are people saying, well, well, even if it doesn't work out, you'll get a great job somewhere. <laughs> and and that, that difficulty of understanding that we could never go back to to just working in an organization for someone else. So what advice would you give to other young people in Canberra who are interested in launching their own startup business? You just have to do it. So we we went through the Innovation ACT program, which is a great program if you're in university. But the only thing that matters is that you you do it. And the Innovation ACT program, now looking at it from a different perspective, it's administered by Canberra Innovation. So we watch the latest cohort come through. The ones that have really succeeded are the kind of people that even if the program hadn't really been there, you know they would have gone out and spoken to people and they would have tried their best to to build this product and keep iterating on it. And definitely talking to young women, um, definitely do it as well. I mean, I'm in a lot of the time, I'm in I'm the only young female in the room in in cybersecurity or in AI, and and it can be quite intimidating, almost having to prove why you need to be in that room. Even when I was little, I, I didn't see myself as an entrepreneur, but somehow through life, I, I became an entrepreneur. And it's something that I see so many other women would provide a 
totally different perspective on, on in, in the industry. And I think everyone, if you can have a great idea, pursue it. Definitely. So the best advice that we could give if you do have that great idea is right now, go out and every day find 10 people to talk to. If they're saying yes right from the get-go, then something's wrong. You're pitching something too agreeable. You want to start pitching until you hear no's. And then until you stop hearing no's, you don't stop. Until someone begs you to give them your product in exchange for their money, you're not doing the right things. It's about user testing. Like if you're unable to get a yes, then you can pivot. You can you can hone that idea. And, and that's what it's all about, learning from mistakes. And you're the only person who will know if this is something that you want to risk mm-hmm. your life for. Because you do, you do risk a lot starting a company. We, we abandoned a lot of the structures that employers would look for mm-hmm. typically. And that meant that for, for two years, we made ourselves effectively unemployable. So you're the only person who can gauge if what you're doing is worth that risk. And if you think it is, go for it. Yeah. Do it. Just one more question before we wrap it up this evening. If someone was interested in your business or product, how would they get in touch with you? There are two ways you can get in touch with us if you're in Canberra. The first one is you can come over to the Canberra Innovation Network at our offices and have a chat with us. We're always open for coffee. Or you can go under zaliaflow.io and there's a big contact us button there. Yep, we're always up for a chat. <laughs> Happy to talk to you. You're listening to 2XFM, People Powered Radio. Thank you, Canberra, for joining me this evening as I spoke with young entrepreneurs, Samantha and Josh, about their AI and network security startup business, Zalia Labs. I look forward to bringing you more of Canberra's best and most interesting stories very soon. This is Fazana for Subject ACT. Have a good night.